Chapter Twelve of Travels with a Donkey in the Cévennes by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick Wallace. Pont de Montvert. One of the first things I encountered in Pont de Montvert was, if I remember rightly, the Protestant temple. But this was but the type of other novelties. A subtle atmosphere distinguishes a town in England from a town in France or even in Scotland. At Carlisle you can see you are in the one country, at Dumfries, thirty miles away, you are as sure that you are in the other. I should find it difficult to tell in what particulars Pont de Montvert differed from Monastier, or Langogne, or even Blémar, but the difference existed and spoke eloquently to the eyes. The place, with its houses, its lanes, its glaring river-bed, wore an indescribable air of the south. All was Sunday bustle in the streets and in the public houses, as all had been Sabbath peace among the mountains. There must have been near a score of us at dinner by eleven before noon, and after I had eaten and drunken, and sat writing up my journal, I suppose as many more came dropping in, one after another, or by twos and threes. In crossing the Lozère I had not only come among new natural features, but moved into the territory of a different race, these people, as they hurriedly dispatched their viands in an intricate sword-play of knives, questioned and answered me with a degree of intelligence which excelled all that I had met, except among the railway folk at Chasseradès. They had open, telling faces, and were lively both in speech and manner. They not only entered thoroughly into the spirit of my little trip, but more than one declared if he were rich enough he would like to set forth on such another. Even physically there was a pleasant change. I had not seen a pretty woman since I left Monastier, and there but one. Now, of the three who sat down with me to dinner, one was certainly not beautiful, a poor timid thing of forty, quite troubled at this roaring table d'hôte, whom I squired and helped to wine, and pledged, and tried generally to encourage, with quite a contrary effect. But the other two, both married, were both more handsome than the average of women. And Clarisse, what shall I say of Clarisse? She waited the table with a heavy, placable nonchalance like a performing cow. Her great grey eyes were steeped in amorous languor. Her features, although fleshy, were of an original and accurate design. Her mouth had a curl. Her nostril spoke of dainty pride. Her cheek fell into strange and interesting lines. It was a face capable of strong emotion and with training it offered the promise of delicate sentiment. It seemed pitiful to see so good a model left to country admirers and a country way of thought. Beauty should at least have touched society. Then in a moment it throws off a weight that lay upon it. It becomes conscious of itself. It puts on an elegance, learns a gait and a carriage of the head, and in a moment, patet dea. Before I left, I assured Clarisse of my hearty admiration. She took it like milk, without embarrassment or wonder, merely looking at me steadily with her great eyes, and I own the result upon myself was some confusion. If Clarisse could read English, I should not dare to add that her figure was unworthy of her face. Hers was a case for stays, but that may perhaps grow better as she gets up in years. Pont de Montvert, or Green Hill Bridge, as we might say at home, is a place memorable in the story of the Camisards. It was here that the war broke out. 
hear that those southern covenanters slew their archbishop sharp the persecution on the one hand the febrile enthusiasm on the other are almost equally difficult to understand in these quiet modern days and with our easy modern beliefs and disbeliefs the protestants were one and all beside their right minds with zeal and sorrow they were all prophets and prophetesses children at the breast would exhort their parents to good works a child of fifteen months at Kisak spoke from its mother's arms, agitated and sobbing distinctly and with a loud voice. Marshal Villard has seen a town where all the women seemed possessed by the devil, and had trembling fits and uttered prophecies publicly upon the streets. A prophetess of Vivarais was hanged at Montpellier, because blood flowed from her eyes and nose, and she declared that she was weeping tears of blood for the misfortunes of the Protestants. And it was not only women and children. Stalwart, dangerous fellows, used to swing the sickle or to wield the forest axe, were likewise shaken with strange paroxysms, and spoke oracles with sobs and streaming tears. A persecution unsurpassed in violence had lasted near a score of years. And this was the result upon the persecuted. Hanging, burning, breaking on the wheel had been in vain. The dragoons had left their hoof-marks over all the countryside, there were men rowing in the galleys, and women pining in the prisons of the church, and not a thought was changed in the heart of any upright Protestant. Now, the head and forefront of the persecution, after Lamoignon de Baville, François de Langlade du Cheila, archpriest of the Cévennes and inspector of missions in the same country, had a house in which he sometimes dwelt in the town of pont de Montvert. He was a conscientious person who seems to have been intended by nature for a pirate, and now fifty-five, an age by which a man has learned all the moderation of which he is capable. A missionary in his youth in China, he there suffered martyrdom, was left for dead, and only succoured and brought back to life by the charity of a pariah. We must suppose the pariah devoid of second sight, and not purposely malicious in this act. Such an experience, it might be thought, would have cured a man of the desire to persecute. But the human spirit is a thing strangely put together, and having been a Christian martyr, Du Cheyla became a Christian persecutor. The work of the propagation of the faith went roundly forward in his hands. His house in pont le served him as a prison. There he closed the hands of his prisoners upon live coal, and plucked out the hairs of their beards to convince them that they were deceived in their opinions. And yet, had not he himself tried and proved the inefficacy of these carnal arguments among the Buddhists in China? Not only was life made intolerable in Languedoc, but flight was rigidly forbidden. One Massip, a muleteer and well acquainted with the mountain paths, had already guided several troops of fugitives in safety to Geneva and on him with another convoy consisting mostly of women dressed as men du Cheyla, in an evil hour for himself laid his hands the sunday following there was a conventicle of protestants in the woods of altefage upon mount bouge where there stood up one seguier spirit seguier as his companions called him a wool-carder tall black-faced and toothless but a man full of prophecy he declared in the name of god that the time for submission had gone by, and they must betake themselves to arms for the deliverance of their brethren and the destruction of the priests. The next night, 24th July 1702, 
A sound disturbed the inspector of missions as he sat in his prison house at Pont de Montvert. The voices of many men upraised in psalmody drew nearer and nearer through the town. It was ten at night. He had his court about him, priests, soldiers, and servants, to the number of twelve or fifteen. And now dreading the insolence of a conventicle below his very windows, he ordered forth his soldiers to report. But the psalm-singers were already at his door, fifty strong, led by the inspired Seguier, and breathing death. To their summons the archpriest made answer like a stout old persecutor, and bade his garrison fire upon the mob. One Camisard, for according to some it was in this night's work that they came by the name, fell at this discharge. His comrades burst in the door with hatchets and a beam of wood, overran the lower story of the house, set free the prisoners, and finding one of them in the Vigne, a sort of scavenger's daughter of the place and period, redoubled in fury against Duchaïla, and sought by repeated assaults to carry the upper floors. But he on his side had given absolution to his men, and they bravely held the staircase. "'Children of God!' cried the prophet. "'Hold your hands. Let us burn the house with the priest and the satellites of Baal.' The fire caught readily. Out of an upper window, Duchaïla and his men lowered themselves into the garden by means of knotted sheets. Some escaped across the river under the bullets of the insurgents, but the archpriest himself fell, broke his thigh, and could only crawl into the hedge. What were his reflections as this second martyrdom drew near? A poor, brave, besotted, hateful man, who had done his duty resolutely according to his light, both in the Cévennes and China. He found at least one telling word to say in his defence, for when the roof fell in and the upbursting flames discovered his retreat, and they came and dragged him to the public place of the town, raging and calling him damned. "'If I be damned,' said he, why should you also damn yourselves? Here was a good reason for the last, but in the course of his inspectorship he had given many stronger, which all told in a contrary direction, and these he was now to hear. One by one, Séguier first, the Camisard drew near and stabbed him. This, they said, is for my father broken on the wheel, this for my brother in the galleys, that for my mother or my sister imprisoned in your cursed convents. Each gave his blow and his reason. And then all kneeled and sang psalms around the body until dawn. With the dawn, still singing, they defiled away towards Frugère, farther up the Tarn, to pursue the work of vengeance, leaving Duchéilo's prison-house in ruins, and his body pierced with two and fifty wounds upon the public place. Tis a wild night's work, with its accompaniment of psalms and it seems as if a psalm must always have a sound of threatening in that town upon the tarn. But the story does not end, even so far as concerns Pont de Montvert, with the departure of the Camisard. The career of Séguier was brief and bloody. Two more priests and a whole family at La Devez, from the father to the servants, fell by his hand or by his orders. And yet he was but a day or two at large, and restrained all the time by the presence of the soldiery. Taken at length by a famous soldier of fortune, Captain Poole, he appeared unmoved before his judges. "'Your name?' they asked. "'Pierre Sigui. "'Why are you called Spirit?' 
because the Spirit of the Lord is with me. Your domicile? Lately in the desert, and soon in heaven. Have you no remorse for your crimes? I have committed none. My soul is like a garden full of shelter and of fountains. At pont de Montvert on the 12th of August, he had his right hand stricken from his body and was burned alive. And his soul was like a garden? So perhaps was the soul of Dushaila, the Christian martyr. And perhaps if you could read in my soul, or I could read in yours, our own composure might seem little less surprising. Dushaila's house still stands, with a new roof beside one of the bridges of the town, and if you are curious, you may see the terrace garden into which he dropped. End of chapter 12